0: you're listening to the food files podcast the latest from the oklahoma state university robert m kerr food and agricultural product center here's your host darren scott welcome to the food files i'm your host darren scott and today we're going to talk about cannon and joining me is going to be a returnee Dr. William McGlynn, Horticultural Products Processing Specialist here in the FAPC. Good morning, William. Good day to you, my fine fellow. (laughs) Well, you know, before we begin, maybe you could share just a little bit with any new listeners out there, a little bit of info about some of your responsibilities here in the FAPC. Oh, sure.
1: Well, basically, I'm a food scientist, and so... My principal area is fruit and vegetable processing. And within that context, I get involved in a lot of different projects some product improvement, product development. But one of my main responsibilities is to help develop thermal processes, heat processes for canning procedures for startup companies, existing companies, things like that. Sometimes depending on the type of canning they're doing, they're required to have a, what's called a scheduled process. And so, whether it's the FDA or the State Department of Health, or someone wants some kind of assurance that the food is actually being produced in a safe fashion, and I help out with that. Okay. Well, let's kind of start off. How does canning preserve food? So canning, by definition, is taking a food, putting it in some kind of sealed container, and then either heating it in the container or using the heat of the food if you're filling it hot, to basically pasteurize or sterilize the product after it's in the sealed container. Mm -hmm. So the main way it works is by killing any microorganisms that can cause spoilage uh, or disease. And so once it's sealed in that container and those microorganisms are killed, that renders it pretty much shelf stable It has some other functions as well. You're excluding air from it. And so that prevents some quality loss that might occur. Mm. Uh, You're deactivating enzymes in the product. And so that also prevents some quality loss over time. But the main way that it works is by killing those microorganisms and keeping them from getting back in. Okay. All right. You know, When you
0: look for the pieces of equipment that you would use for the canning process, you know, there are many different kinds out there. And so, you know, what are some tips for selecting
1: the, the correct type? Yeah, it really depends on what you're trying to can. And so in the canning world, we make a big distinction between what we call high acid products and low acid products. And that relates to a certain pH level, pH, of course, being the measure of acidity in a product. And so if the pH is 4.6 or above, we call that a low acid food. And if the pH is 4.6 or below, we call that a high acid food. And so how does that break down in real life, so to speak? Most fruits are going to be in that high acid category. So they're going to have a pH below 4.6. Most vegetables, meat, seafood, things like that, they're going to be low acid foods. So they're going to have a pH above 4.6. And so that magic dividing line between high acid and low acid, that really determines the type of equipment that you need. And so if you have a food product that has that high pH above 4.6, a low acid food, then you're going to require some kind of pressure cooker to do that canning. And that can be done at home with a home style pressure cooker. Big caveat to that: if you're doing, if you're using a home-style pressure cooker, that cannot be sold commercially. That there are specific requirements for commercially processing those low-acid foods, and a home pressure cooker will not meet those requirements. So that won't work. But for home use, uh, sure you can do that. If you're talking about one of those low-pH, high-acid food products, that can be done in a water bath. Really, you don't need any special equipment even for that. You can do it in a pressure cooker, but you can also just use a regular water bath, and that can be just a big pot on the stove. Okay. All right. Well,
0: what kinds of containers and lids are going to be appropriate for
1: canning? Mm -hmm. Well, you really need anything that can withstand those higher temperatures and that can have that seal We call it a hermetic seal. Seal up so that no air or moisture or anything can get in or out once it's sealed. For home use, as a practical matter, you're talking about glass jars. Uh Glass jars with metal lids, you know, your traditional canning jar. Sure. Certainly you could use a metal can, a metal container, like what you would find at the grocery store, but you need special equipment to seal that up. Hmm. And again, that's not necessarily cheap. So that's an option, but most home canners are gonna use those glass jars. Okay.
0: Well, sticking with the topic of the containers, let's talk a little bit about headspace. So
1: what is headspace and why is it important? So headspace is the distance between the top of the food solid or liquid in the container and the, the lid of the container itself. So when you fill up that container, you wanna leave a little bit of a gap there and it's usually about an eighth of an inch. And that gap is called the headspace. And it's important because you can have too much or too little. If you have too little headspace, if that food is right up in contact with the lid of the jar or the mm-hmm. lid of the can, mm-hmm. it may not seal up properly. Okay. As it expands, when you heat it up, it's going to expand a little bit, and it can contaminate that seal area of the lid, and then that container can leak after after canning. Uh, you see. don't want you don't want that. Right. If you have too much headspace, you won't get a good vacuum in the container. There's just you can't get all that air out of the headspace. And so, especially for glass jars, you're relying on that vacuum to keep that jar sealed up tight. Mm. And if you don't have a good vacuum, again, it can leak, and you can get spoilage, and you don't want that. Okay. When canning, how important is it to consider the altitude? Well, it can be very important. So... The reason it can be important is because, of course, the temperature of boiling water changes depending on your altitude. So the higher up you go, the lower that temperature is. So at sea level, water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Everyone knows that. Uh, But as you go higher, that boiling point actually drops. So here in Stillwater, Oklahoma, for example, the boiling point is roughly 211, between 210 and 211, depending on the atmospheric pressure that day. And so as you go higher, that boiling point drops even further. And Mm -hmm. so you're relying on that heat during canning. If you're using a boiling water process, like in a water bath, Mm -hmm. at high altitude, the actual temperature of the boiling water is going to be lower. And so you're going to need a longer process time to deliver the same amount of heat to your jars. All right. Well, you know, you mentioned just a little bit earlier
0: the difference between a high acid food and a low acid food. And mm-hmm. I was really kind of curious, you know, OK, does the acidity of the food affect how it's canned, particularly length of the canning process?
1: hmm. Yeah, it has a big impact. And so as I mentioned before, if you have that high pH, low acid food product, you're going to need a pressure cooker to, to safely process it. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because it has to be processed at a much higher temperature. So, you know, high acid, low pH products, they can be canned in a boiling water bath. That's going to be somewhere in around 212 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, but that won't work for a low acid, high pH food. You need a much higher temperature. Um, And so we're talking temperatures in the range of 240 to 250 degrees Fahrenheit, typically. I see. I see. And the reason for that is because of a little microorganism, a bacteria called Clostridium botulinum. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, How difficult is it to kill Clostridium? So Clostridium is, you may have heard of a medical condition called botulism. Well, why, I have. (laughs) And so the organism that causes that is Clostridium botulinum. And the way that it does that is that it produces a toxin. Mm -hmm. And that toxin actually affects your nervous system. And it is extremely potent. So very small amounts of this toxin will cause your nervous system to shut down. Mm. And that can lead to very serious illness or death. And so botulism is something that you definitely want to avoid in your canned foods. Well, the way you do that is by killing Clostridium botulinum. Now, Clostridium botulinum is a microorganism that forms what are called spores, bacterial spores, and these are like a little dormant seed form of the bacteria, Mm -hmm. and those spores are very, very difficult to kill. That's what you need, that high temperature, 240, 250 degree temperature, to kill them. Boiling water won't kill them. I mean, it will, but you have to boil them for, you know, 24, 48 hours, something like that. Right, so not really practical. Um, not really practical for canning. Fortunately for us, at that low pH, high acid, those spores are inactivated. They won't grow. Mm -hmm. And so if the pH is below 4.6, we don't have to worry about killing them. If the pH is above 4.6, we do have to kill them. And that's when we need that high temperature and that pressure cook process to do that. Okay. So higher pH sort
0: of supports the growth of clostridium. Uh, is there anything else that
1: um, would what, what help encourage the growth of clostridium? The other thing that was required for clostridium botulinum to grow is a lack of oxygen. Okay. And so I mentioned earlier that one of the things you're doing in the canning process is getting all the air out, you're getting the Mm -hmm. oxygen out, that helps to preserve the food, but it also creates an environment in which Clostridium botulinum can grow if you have that high pH level, you know, pH above 4.6. And so, yes, those are the two things that you need for Clostridium botulinum to grow. You need a complete absence of oxygen and you need that high pH. Okay. Well, so what are some of the symptoms of botulism there? So I mentioned that botulism affects your nervous system. And Mm -hmm. the first thing that affects is your what's called the autonomic nervous system. And so the first thing that most people typically notice, they start to feel kind of fatigued. They may have blurry vision. As it progresses, they may start to slur their speech. They may notice muscular weakness. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you have symptoms like that after eating canned food that you think might not be good, and if you think it might not be good, please don't eat it. But if that has happened uh, and you start to have those symptoms, you need to get to the hospital as soon as possible. There is an antitoxin that can be administered, And the sooner that's done, the more likely it is that there'll be a good outcome. Okay.
0: Well, how easy would it be to spot a product that's been improperly canned?
1: Well, usually you can tell because it won't have a good vacuum in the container. So you'll see bulging lids, uh, things like that. Okay. Now I say usually because that's not necessarily always the case. So you have to be a little bit cautious. If you think there's something wrong with your canned food, then you definitely want to be cautious with it. So usually you're going to see that lack of vacuum. You're going to see bulging of the lid, but that's not 100% guaranteed to happen. Okay. The other thing you might notice, of course, is some kind of off aroma mm. um, or the, if there's brine, it may be kind of unusually cloudy, something like that. Okay. Uh, so you may see some other signs of spoilage as well. If you see anything like that, you definitely want to be very cautious with that. So how do you dispose of improperly canned food? Uh, So if you think that it has gone bad, but the container is still sealed, so maybe the lid is bulging, but it hasn't started to leak yet. Mm -hmm. uh, The best thing to do is to just wrap that up in a garbage bag and throw it away. Make sure it goes to a landfill, but don't try and open it. Don't try and do anything like that. Mm. If it has started to leak, then that leak can be rather dangerous because, again, if there is any botulism toxin present, it takes just a tiny, tiny amount of that to make someone sick or even kill them. And so if you consume it, if you taste it, that's one way, but you can also absorb it through your skin. Okay. And so... If it has started to leak, then it's probably prudent to go ahead and try and detoxify. And the way you do that is with boiling water. Fortunately, Clostridium botulinum toxin can be deactivated by boiling water. And it only takes about 20 minutes, something like that, half an hour to do that so you can take that carefully wearing gloves making sure you don't come in contact with any leaking material you can take that container put it in a big pot of boiling water and boil it for half an hour and then throw it away it should be fine okay but if any of it has leaked out of the container and you have a little bit of residue somewhere be very careful with that you can deactivate that with a very strong bleach solution about one part bleach to maybe two or three parts water uh-huh but again you'd want to wear gloves you want to make sure your skin doesn't come in contact with that residue gotcha All right. So what are going to be some best practices for home canning? Best practices. You want to be sure, and here we're talking especially about low acid, high pH food products, Mm -hmm. things like vegetables, meats. If you're doing any canning on something like that, again, you have to have the right equipment. You have to have a pressure cooker to do that. You want to be absolutely sure to follow the recipe, whatever the canning procedures are, to the letter. So if it says to process it at 240 degrees for half an hour, uh, that time and temperature is really, really critical. You do not want to change that. Uh, because again, if you under process it, you may not kill all of those Clostridium botulinum spores. And then you can have botulism. And for all the reasons we've talked about, you definitely don't want that. Uh, Following the recipe is also important if you're doing any kind of what we call acidified food product. So any kind of pickle or something like that, you know, it'll call for a certain, typically it'll call for a certain amount of acid. Could be vinegar, could be lemon juice, could be something else. Um, And it's very important, again, to follow that recipe and make sure that you get enough acid in there because... We're trying to get that pH down below 4.6. And if we don't, uh, again, that can be very, very serious. You you can have botulism growing in there. And so you may not like the taste of vinegar. You may think, "Ah, I don't want so much vinegar in these pickles. I'm going to cut that down. No, that is not something you want to do. So again, follow that recipe carefully. Okay. So where can I find some reliable recipes or guides
0: for home canning?
1: Yeah, there are a number of sources. There's what's called the Ball Blue Book, which is put out by the Ball Corporation and has been for, oh gosh, probably 70 years or more now. And and so that has time-tested tried-and-true recipes for a lot of different pickled products primarily, but some other things as well. The USDA has a home canning guide that can be very helpful and different university extension fact sheets from around the country. You'll find a lot of canning recipes on those as well, and those can be relied upon. So there are a number of good sources, but make sure it's a reliable source and make sure that it's been tested out before you try it yourself. Okay,
0: well, on that note, uh, is there anything
1: else that you'd like to add? (laughs) I guess I just want to reinforce canning is a wonderful way to preserve food, and it's kind of fun to do, I think. But it's something that needs to be taken very seriously, because if it's not done correctly, it can be dangerous. There can be some very serious food safety issues, uh, botulism being the most prominent of them. And so if you're going to do it, make sure you understand what you're doing and make sure you follow the instructions. All right. Well, on that
0: note, let's wrap up this episode. Thanks, William. Well met, gentlemen. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, my good sir. It's been a pleasure as always. Uh, I'd also like to thank the listeners for tuning into this episode of The Food Files. Um, And I'd also like to thank AgCom for the production of this podcast. For additional food industry information, please make sure to visit our website at food.okstate.edu. Until next time.